Hi, and welcome to the Let's Talk Healthy Pets podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, Dr. Mercola's Chief Wellness Veterinary Consultant, and I'm excited to share with you the latest news about pet health to guide you in keeping your animal companions healthy, comfortable, and happy throughout their lives. My goal as a proactive vet is to empower pet owners to make knowledgeable decisions to extend the lifespan and well-being of their animals. If you're looking for more pet health tips, you can also subscribe to my free daily newsletter at healthypets.mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and I have Dr. John Geller with me today as my guest. He is the fantastic veterinarian that started an amazing program called the Street Dog Coalition. Welcome, John, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about this. So you have done a lot of great things, but you also got into veterinary medicine I don't want to say in a non-traditional way, but you didn't go from high school to undergrad to vet school. Um, so before we talk about the unbelievable program that you set up, talk to me a little bit about what inspired you first to become a veterinarian. Sure, I'd be glad to. And, and you're right, it actually was a pretty non-traditional way. I was uh, really didn't have being a veterinarian on my mind at all until I was about 35 years old. I had been a building contractor and... <laughs> I could see that that wasn't going to work out really long term. And I literally sat down and, and made a list of possibilities and decided uh, veterinary medicine made the most sense uh, just because I did, did enjoy living with animals and lived out in the country and I enjoyed science. So at age 38, I went back to school, did all the prereqs and started vet school at age 40. And it's worked out really well. It's wonderful. And then you went into emergency practice. Was that right away or no? Did you do? No, uh, I actually started out as a large animal vet. Okay. And I was doing uh, house calls uh, for large animals. And then also I started doing some small animals. And I realized uh, that wasn't working out all that well either because I've spent too much time driving around. And so for a little extra income, I started doing emergency uh, shifts as a relief doctor and I realized this is really what I love doing and as far as veterinary medicine goes. So I spent the next 20 years involved in emergency medicine. And we are so thankful, us GPs are so thankful that there are veterinarians like you in the world that are passionate about emergency medicine. Emergency medicine would put me into adrenal failure the first week. So I am thankful that there are people like you that love doing it because I, I would not enjoy doing that. It's far too stressful, but obviously like the most critical thing that could be done is to save an animal's life in an urgent care situation. And so we're thankful that you find it so rewarding. That's <laughs> definitely for everybody. No, it isn't. <laughs> and so then what was the evolution, John, uh, behind the Street Dog Coalition? How did, how did this platform or endeavor, this initiative come about? Okay, so I mean, baby, looking backwards, I've evolved from emergency medicine to street medicine. And really, street medicine is kind of a combination of, of emergency medicine, house calls, and, and shelter medicine. But it really was, uh, I think in, in emergency medicine, I was getting, getting worn down by some of the economic stresses of seeing folks struggle to pay for services. And a lot of veterinarians experience that. 
And uh, of course, the unfortunate result can sometimes be economic euthanasia where folks can't afford to pay for treatment and you have to euthanize your pet. But I, I kind of became aware of the of the homeless community that owned pets, uh, just seeing them on the streets in some cities. And I remember seeing a fellow on a bridge in Nashville uh, back in 2014, just sitting there with his pit bull. His pit bull looked really great, uh, well-behaved. The guy seemed very accepting of, of what was going on in his life, but he also had kind of this look. He kind of looked at me with some kind of a, a hopeful optimism. And I kind of took that as a message hey, maybe, maybe you could do something or maybe you can figure something out. And I meant you as collectively, you know, veterinary medicine. Yeah. So I just did some background searching and, and realized that this would be manageable. We could, there's probably 50,000 to 100,000 pets that are owned by homeless folks in the United mm -hmm. States. And we can probably provide them with a basic level of care so that they can survive on the streets and be valuable partners uh, to their homeless owners. And I have had that thought um, many, many times when I see homeless people. And, and I have had the same experience you have had where oftentimes their dogs appear to be in better, better, more well cared for uh, physically than themselves. And undoubtedly it's because they, those animals are their, literally their lifeline. And I think that they would do anything to provide for them and they're doing that all of the resource potentially the resources could go for caring for their animal the difference is i had that thought you put it into action john in a, in a beautiful way so how did the evolution of the unfolding of this project come about after you were inspired to do something how did you go about setting it up well you you kind of already mentioned that for me uh, just kind of my, you know, one of my personal values is just try to to do something, I guess I, it's kind of my mantra is you know, do something even if it's wrong. Yeah. So uh, I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, Northern Colorado. We, I, I just decided the first step would be to do a little street clinic uh, as kind of a prototype and see how it goes. And so in 2015, we, we did a small clinic in a parking lot in Fort Collins and uh, we posted some flyers in the homeless shelters and I think we took care of about 20 or 30 pets that day and wow. it all went really well. We just kind of worked through some issues and it took off from there because once, uh, once we started doing this and other veterinarians and veterinary technicians got involved, they wanted to do it too. So in addition to doing our work, uh, we, we started setting up teams in other cities in the United States. And so how many, how many, Vets are now involved with this. So we have, we have teams in 35 cities, and each one has a veterinarian that's a team leader. Uh, we have folks rotating through as volunteers, but we have ongoing, uh, ongoing street clinics in one form or another in that many cities. And I'd say every, every week or two, I get an inquiry about starting up a new team. Wow. It's wonderful and inspiring. Are you, ha are you having international inquiries as well? I would assume maybe you've got people from other countries wondering. Yeah, we are. I mean, it's definitely, I found out it's kind of an international issue. Yeah, of course. I, I just went to a conference in Pittsburgh. It was called the Street Medicine Institute. And it was mostly, mostly physicians and medical professionals. I was the only veterinarian there actually, but these are folks from all over the world do, doing this street medicine. And, you know, just the idea of it is, is bring the medicine to the people 
because yeah. uh, transportation is a huge challenge. We've, we've kind of discovered is how do we get people even even to our street clinic? So we, we've really worked on uh, trying to make it as convenient as possible for them. And so you're partnering with potentially local homeless shelters and then providing transport that way? Yes, often in Fort Collins, for example, we do work out of a homeless shelter where people, it's on a bus route, people are used to coming there. Some of them have larger dogs. They, uh, we saw, saw a guy yesterday and his, his dog has to run next to his bike everywhere he goes. Uh, actually, his, and his dog had some foot pad injuries, so uh, we got him set up with some booties and he also got a trailer for his bike so his dog can ride in the trailer. But, wonderful. Yeah, just find, try to find the, the best place. Sometimes it's just, just we just go right into the encampments where all the tents are set up and, and just go up and down the line. Yeah. yeah. And are you finding, I ask this because just from my experience uh, observing, are you finding that it, the, for the vast majority of cases, the animals that I have seen have been quite well fed? They're not too thin. Um, are, are you, what are some of the, are you seeing recurrent? physical or medical issues that can go along with a lifestyle of being homeless or no? Is it, is it all over the board? Are you seeing everything from chronic ear infections to cancer? Are you seeing some conditions that are oftentimes common? I think, and this may be incorrect, but based on what I'm seeing, I'm seeing a very healthy population of dogs. Yeah. Actually quite rare to run across a really sick animal and, and we struggle to find a plan for those uh, those pads that we usually end up sending them somewhere. But most of them are really healthy, and I think it's somewhat of a just a survival of the fittest of living out on the street. If, if they weren't healthy, uh, they'd probably end up not being able to do that. So they'd end up somewhere else or enter back to a shelter, you know, maybe end up in someone's home. Probably the main issue that we see is, uh, is parasites, and mostly uh, things like mites, uh, lice, ticks, uh, scabies, maybe, you know, some intestinal parasites also. And, and I think that's just a product of, of living outside 24 hours. Sure. Like do, their exposure is, is just more. And, uh, and then are you able to diagnose and then provide medicines right away? In the, in the situation of the man that you treated or that you talked about, that you got a cart for, how do you get in touch with these people then to provide information later or resources later? It's really hard to communicate with this group. I mean, that's definitely a big challenge. Yeah. Sometimes we'll actually leave messages through the homeless shelter. Makes sense. Some of them do have phones, and so we use email and text messaging. Yeah. We try to treat everything we can right there on the spot because follow-up usually doesn't happen, even if, even if we set it up. Yep. Their lives are often in turmoil, so uh, saying, hey, come back in two weeks on this time and date, it's right. probably going to happen. So if we see an animal that we suspect has mites or one that does have ticks, or, or I forgot to mention fleas, which are huge in certain places. Sure, sure. We're going to give them something like Brevecto, which is a really high-end product that will cover them for three months and hopefully take care of the problem. And do you have uh, sponsorship or support from some of the pharmaceutical companies? Are you able to get some of these products and resources that you're utilizing free or at a discounted rate? I hope. <laughs> yes, we are. Luckily, uh, you know, based on my emergency uh, hospital experience, 
I mean, I do have some friends that are in the pharmaceutical industry. And so kind of uh, in a friendly way, they're able to provide us with donations or discounts. Good. We do end up uh, buying most of our supplies and, uh, and that's where most of our, our funding goes, cost of supplies. Yeah. So, and so that makes sense in terms of anyone watching, if you're, if this strums a heart cord, like it did for me, um, donations, money donations that go to purchase much needed supplies is of course a beautiful gift um, for this organization. So John, what happens if the injury or if there is an injury that's substantial enough that would require surgery or is that not an option yet or is that down the pipeline or what or, or even euthanasia what do you what do you do with more advanced cases yeah those are those are really tough we actually did a street clinic in denver uh last year or a year before last and we had a pet that came that was really it was it was agonal which means it was uh having a lot of difficulty breathing and we could tell that it it really was, it was going to die within the next few minutes. And that one we were able to kind of, kind of help the owner, comfort the owner do that. Pet that. But if we, if we felt like this was untreatable and the pet was really suffering, we would just pay for that person to go to a local hospital for the euthanasia and, okay. and just get it covered. We are working hard to create a kind of a safety net fund that uh, we're calling, we're calling it Oh Romeo kind of in honor of someone's, uh, cat that made a donation to this fund so that we can cover medical care that we can't provide on the street. Wonderful. It's wonderful. And have you found um, that the vast majority of the pets that you are treating are unbelievable, unbelievably well-adjusted and grounded? My experience has been that the street animals that I have come in contact with are some of the most well-behaved, well-mannered, not just street smart, but very balanced animals. Yes, that's just, I think, from living on the street. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've been well-socialized just out of necessity. And yeah. again, if they weren't, they just wouldn't be able to. Wouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah. And so are you having a home, human homeless shelters reach out to you also to potentially try and get uh, new programs set up in different cities? Yes, that is happening to some extent, but I, I think really the movement is more uh, of us uh, contacting them and finding out that very few of them even allow pets on their property mm. and uh, much less allow folks to say, spend the night with their pets. And so we're finding uh, homeless shelters are generally not pet friendly. And then and it applies to things, uh, domestic women's shelters also, same situation mm -hmm. folks. Mm -hmm can't come in with a dog. So we're actually working on creating protocols or a program so that pets should be able to stay there, help them set up kennels or cat condos and make sure that their rabies vaccinated and, and you know, free of parasites before they come in, but then, then making sure that they are allowed to come in. So that's just, a, that is an ongoing process that we kind of have drifted into. So, you're in fantastic and you're in 30 you have 35 different cities do you have are you a one-man show do you have people helping you set these set these programs up this is all it's a beautiful much needed program that um i couldn't be happy or about helping you get the word out about but how are you doing this all by yourself or are you not doing it by yourself 
no, I'm not doing it by myself. I mean, I realized, and this goes all the way back to the days of construction. I've, I found a fantastic person to help kind of run the operations and do, uh, call it uh, director of creative strategies, social media marketing, and help with recruiting. I mean, I focus on working on the medical side as much as I can. Yeah. And we also have uh, a team of, of volunteers, a core team that helps us organize kind of centrally. And, um, but a motive, most of our communication is, is really is digitally by, by email. And I'll, I do try to travel around and go to some of the street clinics, especially the bigger ones like in Las Vegas and Chicago mm-hmm. uh, and help folks, especially if it's their first or second one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So as, so if veterinarians listening or hearing this via podcast, if veterinarians are interested in getting involved, do you have, do you have some, tra- some training options or some, some, emailable guidelines I mean, do you have do you have a way of helping vets that show an interest guiding them through this initial setup process yeah we definitely try to i try to let them know that hey you, this isn't going to really affect your time that much um, maybe you'll do something once a month once a quarter whatever works out for you and we've put together through trial and error making some mistakes the kind of some best practices uh, right. every, everything from you know, the details of 10 things never to forget. And we've learned the hard way on that to uh, how to, how to dispense uh, Brevecto to really small dogs, you know, Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. And for, uh, and how about food? Um, I know you're doing medical. Is there, is there a pro any programs working with feeding homeless animals or not yet or no? Uh, We are partnering up with, uh, these pet pantries in different places and so wonderful we try to um, make sure that one of them one of those groups is there we found that food is very hard to uh, to deal with because it's so bulky and yeah the supplies we usually try to fit them in the back of a car or back of a truck uh, so we don't really have room for a lot of food but we, we are definitely partnering up with with groups that do and there are quite a few of them out there yeah, wonderful. It's wonderful. So then that leaves the last group of people, pet parents, that are inspired by what your organization's doing. Um, the best way for, do you need uh, lay people help support, uh, you know, both physical, of course, monetary donations always needed and necessary and appreciative. Do you need vo- human volunteers at these sites as well? Uh, we definitely do. And, and some of the folks, uh, you know, we definitely have a need one or two people at each event just to, to do paperwork. So they have to have some background knowledge about veterinary medicine, be able to say fill out a rabies tag. But we have folks that that do that, that don't have a, have a background in handling yeah. uh, pets and veterinary waste. And then we have other volunteers who just want to do something. And we encourage them to do, uh, do, do some fundraising, you know, in a fun way. And, you know, say so maybe kind of a brewery event or something with food trucks and they can support their local team. You know, hopefully we have one in their area. So if people don't, if they don't have a, a local team, what's the best way, John, that they can learn more about this? Or where do you, where, where should we send people to learn more about what you're doing? Well, I think our website is, is a really good place to go. And, and uh, uh, Katrina, who's the lady I, I mentioned, who's running that website, uh, puts that together and has kind of an overview of things that are happening in many of the cities where we work and how they're similar, how they're different. And many, lots and lots of photos 
of, of pets and, and their owners uh, at the clinics or just out on the street. And, and we're glad to, we welcome uh, anyone that wants to help in any way. We can usually figure, figure something out. Well, from the bottom of my heart, I am so thankful that there are humans like you that also happen to be veterinarians, that also happen to have a heart for um, homeless people and their animals, and the very important aspect of nurturing and caring for those, those animals as a lifeline to helping those people um, in the situation that they're in. So I appreciate you meeting uh, everyone where they're at and caring for those animals in a way that currently, prior to you setting this up, I believe is quite an unmet need. And I think worldwide probably still is. But the fact that you're providing training and information uh, allows veterinarians to have a go-to site to be able to much more expeditiously set up a, a team in their area with the guidance of your organization. So I'm so thankful for everything you're doing. Oh, thanks for that, Karen. Yeah, I was going to mention too that for many veterinarians, it's, they just have a great time doing it because yeah. no money changes hands. I mean, I don't even bring my wallet. So it's, it's very freeing. So I think you yes. know what, and, uh, and it's therapeutic. I look at yeah. it as something that it's just a big switch from what folks are usually used to. And it's very personal medicine. Uh, we don't worry about having large numbers. If sometimes we'll spend half an hour or even an hour with a, someone in their pet just working through some behavior problems or just finding out more about the, the challenges they have of living with a pet and everything I mentioned, you know, from transportation, can't go in, you know, there's no doggy daycare for them. So how yeah. are they going to a doctor's appointment or job interview or even taking a shower is hard. So it's a pretty interesting experience. Well, and it's, it's, an, it's an invaluable experience for those on the receiving end. What you're providing for people attempting to get out of their current circumstances is you're providing hope, resources, um, you're supporting their animals, which of course they love more than anything on the, the planet. And you're also um, providing interaction. You know, By caring for dogs and cats, you are in turn caring for them, which is Awesome. And why we all became veterinarians in the first place. So you're right. It's getting back to the roots of caring for animals, which is something that should be inspiring to all of us. Well, good. I hope, I hope that it is. And yeah, again, yeah. I love talking about this stuff and I'm glad to talk about it because I'm learning so much along the way. Um, and really just to reinforce what you said, I, we've noticed that, that many of these folks' lives would, would be without purpose yeah. With the, the pets, I mean, they would just lay on the sidewalk, say in a place like North Las Vegas or San Jose, and no one would care whether they got up, whether they did anything, or they could just lay there. And if they have a pet, their you know their day starts with finding some maybe some food, taking that that dog or cat for a walk. Well, cats don't yeah. go for walks, but they they ride around with them. Yeah. So they spend their days taking care of their pet, and that may be their only purpose in life at this point, while they kind of figure things out. Yeah. Yep. Again, um, animals are so healing and we know that innately, but these animals provide front and center everything for homeless people. And the fact that you have made it your mission to care for these animals is beautiful, necessary, um, but also an important step in helping people change their circumstances. So I appreciate all that you're doing. I'm also looking forward to interviewing you again as things progress. I can see that your mission will continue expanding and I'll be anxious to check in with you uh, down the road to see 
how many more cities, veterinarians, technicians, and support people have joined the mission. It's certainly valuable and worthwhile. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm glad you said that, Karen, because I think the future is a little bit late, is kind of somewhat laid out for us because we're going into this area of One Health Street Outreach. And so the next kind of phase of our of where we're going is teaming up with medical personnel to do these street clinics at the same time in the same place with, say, a social worker, a medical students, nurse practitioners, mental mental health professionals, addiction counselors, dentists, etc. Uh, and we just started doing that in cities like uh, Detroit and Chicago and Pittsburgh. So I think that's uh, w where the future is. The way I see it is, yeah, let's provide as much care as we can, take advantage of the opportunity. It's wonderful, just wonderful. Well, you are inspiring to everyone that you talk to, and uh, and I appreciate all that you're doing, John. I'm looking forward to tracking your progress, your success, but most importantly, the lives that are being changed and touched by all that you're doing. Thank you. Well, thank thank you. Maybe sometime we can. Uh, you can join us at one of our Yes, exactly. I was just I was just thinking that. I don't know if you have one in the Phoenix area. Do oh, you yeah. have okay, so I yeah, that that I will do that. And um yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Thanks, John. That sounds great.